morning. Welcome. You can be seated. Thank you. Uh, those of you online, we want to welcome you as well. We're so glad that you're joining with us. We're going to get right to it. We have two services on Sunday, the first of which is the weekly Bible prophecy updates. We've been doing this for many years now. And now second service is, didn't always used to be, but now it is the sermon, which is a verse by verse study through the Word of God. We're currently in, and Lord willing today, going to complete the book of First Peter. So our text is going to be chapter 5, verses 10 through 14. And we're going to look at the paramount importance of putting our suffering into its biblical perspective, and even more importantly, its eternal perspective. So that'll be 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time for those of you joining us by way of live stream. And for those of you that are here, you're of course welcome to stay and uh, join with us as well for second service. Also for those that are watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to the website at jdfarag.org. Uh, there you will find the uncensored, uninterrupted entirety of today's update. Let's get to it. For today's update, I have some very good news. And it's, <laughs> yeah, you see it on the screen. Don't get ahead of me. Um, it's very good news that all of us need to hear. And the good news is we are not in the seven-year tribulation just yet. We good? Should we close in prayer with that? And now, here's the thing. <laughs> We're very close. Which is actually, if you think about it, good news in and of itself, by virtue of the fact that Bible prophecy fulfilled in the tribulation is already beginning to happen right now prior to the tribulation. What I'm hoping to do today is address this matter by explaining the reasons as to why we are not, cannot be in the seven-year tribulation yet. And here's why. There are those who believe that everything that's happening in the world today means that we must be in the tribulation. I have to confess that I was rather taken back when I learned that this belief was more prevalent and pronounced than what I had initially understood. So much so that after seeking the Lord, I'm going to give the Holy Spirit the elbow room, so to speak, as to whether or not to do a follow-up on this. And to do that, I'd like to extend an invitation to all of you who may be confused by this or battling with this to email us through the website, jdfarag.org. Those of you here, if you'll just send in the email. As the Lord directs, we're going to read through them and inquire of the Lord about them, as we then carefully and prayerfully seek the Lord and petition the throne. Again, I had no idea. I was really 
quite blindsided actually when I learned of just how prevalent this is. And that's kind of sad and tragic in a way. Now, if we don't do a follow-up on this, possibly as soon as next week, we may still revisit this at a future date, Lord willing, of course. Now, I need you to hear me uh, on this, and it's kind of a, uh, it's an introduction of sorts. It is not my intention to talk anyone into or out of anything. That is not my intention. And thankfully, that's not in my job description, according to Scripture. Pressure's off. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into all truth. So what I have to do then is to teach the truth and preach the Word. And that's what I'm going to do. So I want to settle this matter from Scripture, and in so doing provide three biblical reasons as to why it is that we cannot be in the seven-year tribulation yet. And I'm hoping this will be an encouragement to you. The three reasons are as follows. Number one, the church hasn't been raptured yet. Number two, the covenant hasn't been enforced yet. And number three, the final kingdom of man hasn't ruled yet. Now, I need to preface this by providing the scriptural basis upon which the timeline of the end times is established. And thankfully, we need look no further than to the book of Revelation, the only book of all the books in the Bible that promises a blessing to those who read it, hear it, and take it to heart. No other book in the Bible promises a blessing to the one who reads it, hears it, and takes it to heart, unique to this book, is a built-in blessing. No other book has that blessing in it. And also unique to the book of Revelation is what one has affectionately referred to as a divine outline. And specifically, it's a wonderful chronological order in which the book of Revelation perfectly positions the prophetic events of the last days. And it's Revelation 1 verse 19. John is told by Jesus to write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The Greek word in the original is meta, metatauta, after, beyond, not to be confused with metaverse. It's a whole different, I shouldn't even brought it up, but I did. After these things. So in effect, John is told to write what was past, that he was an eyewitness of, what is now present, and after what's going to happen in the future. And that's the divine outline. Here's a chart. 
Um, <laughs> by the way, we have a, a link to a PDF file of this along with another uh, chart I'm going to show you uh, later on. But I want to just go through this because it is so perfect in its timing of all of the end times events. Chapter 1 is past. That which you have seen, John, what did John see? John saw Jesus the Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, and glorified. That's chapter 1, past. Chapters 2 and 3, present, now, the church age, the seven letters to seven churches, literal physical churches in Asia Minor. We know it today, modern day, as the nation of Turkey. You can go visit these cities where these churches were representative of the church age. We are living right now, as we speak, at the very end of the church age. And this is important, because when you get to chapter 4, specifically verse 1, everything is from that point on future, slash rapture. What do you mean? Oh, chapter 4, verse 1, after these things, metatauta, John is told to, at the sound of a trumpet, Revelation 4, 1, come up hither. He's taken up to heaven at the sound of a trumpet. Sound familiar? And from chapter 4, verse 1 on through the entire book of Revelation, he has a heaven's view of future events that will take place after the church age of chapters 2 and 3. So, you get to chapter 6, on through to chapter 19. That is all about the yet future, which we're not in yet, seven-year tribulation. And here's the thing, and this is so important. Please hear me on this. The word church is mentioned 19 times until you get to chapter 4, verse 1. During the tribulation, which is recorded in Revelation chapter 6 through 19, do you know how many times the word church is found? Zero. Nada. None. I'm trying to think of some other languages, but if I use the Arabic word, I'll spit on everybody in the front row. So I won't. Not one time. Do you read the word church in chapters 6 through 19, dealing with the tribulation, because the church is not in the tribulation? Now, you do read about these martyred saints, and we'll talk about them shortly. That's not the church. Now, chapter 20. This is the millennium also known as the kingdom age, that 1,000 year period of time here on earth. And I, it's mind blowing, but the earth will be like it was pre-sin, pre-fall, in its state like the Garden of Eden for 1,000 years. That's the millennium. 
And then chapters 21 and 22 are about the new heavens and the new earth in eternity future. So can we take this template, this timeline, this divine outline and just kind of hold on to it and superimpose it on what we're going to talk about and see next? I'm actually asking you if we can do that. Thank you so much. It's with this fundamental understanding that we're now better able to take and tackle the topic of why we are not in the tribulation. While this is not exhaustive in the sense that there are numerous scriptural reasons, it is comprehensive with the main reasons. So these are in order the three aforementioned reasons which firmly establish, I'm wording this this way for a reason, firmly establish the sound doctrine, sound doctrine, that we're not in the seven year tribulation. We can't be. Now we're extremely close, but it cannot have started yet, because the church has not been raptured yet. I'm starting with this one because the belief that we're in the tribulation requires certain presuppositions concerning the rapture, namely that of the rapture no longer taking place prior to the seven-year tribulation, which in effect postpones it and reschedules it sometime in the seven-year tribulation. And by that I mean, if we're already now in the seven-year tribulation, that means now the rapture has to happen during the seven-year tribulation. And there are additional presuppositions included with this, such as the Antichrist would now already have to have been revealed at this time. If we're in the seven-year tribulation, that means the Antichrist has to have been revealed. Even worse, in terms of biblical inaccuracy, is the presupposition that the Antichrist isn't revealed until the middle of the tribulation. This was probably the most shocking to me. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this in a moment, but if this weren't bad enough, this belief that the Antichrist, okay, so the Antichrist hasn't been revealed, but we're still in the tribulation. Okay, so when is the Antichrist going to be revealed? Oh, in the middle of the tribulation. Oh, really? So now what you've done is you focused the Christian's attention on the Antichrist, not Jesus Christ. And the devil couldn't be happier. Oh, he's so happy. It's exactly what he wanted to do. It shouldn't really come as any surprise, given that one would have to twist Scripture into a prophetic pretzel to reschedule the Antichrist's revelation for the middle of the tribulation. See, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. John is told, He's given this read, 
says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar, and count the worshipers there, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And I will give power to my two witnesses in the tribulation. And they will prophesy for 1260 days, three, three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. Now, why do I point this out? Because this has nothing to do with the Antichrist revelation or the start of the tribulation. This is about the temple. You say, wait a minute, what about Daniel 9.27? Hold on, we'll get to Daniel 9.27. Other reasons for believing were already in the tribulation include the overemphasizing of Shemitah cycles, Jubilee years, and blood moons. Add to this the presupposition that the time of Jacob's trouble, also known as the 70th week of Daniel, has already commenced. Now we'll get to that shortly, but kindly allow me to first resolve the matter of both the timing of the rapture and subsequently the revelation of the Antichrist. Now please, this is sound doctrine. This is sound doctrine. This is not theory. This is sound doctrine. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 8. And the version that I want to read from is the 1599 Geneva Bible. It predates the 1611 King James Version. And there's a reason for it. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to the Thessalonians in the context of the rapture. They were greatly concerned. They were deeply disturbed. And we're going to see why here in a moment. So here's what Paul writes by the Holy Spirit. Now, we beseech you, brethren, listen, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our assembling unto Him. That's the rapture. That's the rapture. How so? Assembling, we talked about Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, not gathering. See, I can gather my watch parts here. It's not functional. It has to be assembled. That's an assembling together unto Him. Notice it doesn't say when He comes down unto us. No. That's the second coming. And notice the delineation just in verse 1. <laughs> we better move a little bit faster here, but just bear with me. This is delineation of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is the second coming, and the assembling unto Him is the rapture. And that's the whole context of this letter. His first letter too, by the way. Now verse 2, that ye be not suddenly moved from your mind, 
nor troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as it were from us, as though the day of Christ were at hand. In other words, boy, um, nothing new under the sun. Apparently, there was a forged letter bearing the Apostle Paul's name that was circulating around Thessalonica that was basically saying, we're in the tribulation. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's happening now. It's like the Thessalonians then watched YouTube videos with guys telling them that you're in the tribulation. The rapture, you either missed the rapture, or it's been delayed, or now the rapture isn't going to happen before the seven-year tribulation. No wonder they're moved, shaken. No wonder they're troubled, disturbed, discouraged, and that discouragement giving way to despair. Because isn't it true that if this were true, and it's not, thank God, and we were actually in the tribulation right now. Um, how do I say this? Well, I probably wouldn't be standing here right now. Uh, I'd be stockpiling, prepping. Um, I'd be hunkering down, not looking up. I'd be hunkering down, getting ready for, and instead of looking up, because my redemption draws near. Because now th this changes everything. This is a game changer. No wonder they're discouraged. And isn't it interesting, in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 17, key rapture verse, by the way. I don't know how, <laughs> I don't have time to go there, nor does my blood pressure allow it. So let me just say it. You know First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. I love this verse. I love this verse, my favorite verse in all the Bible, along with all the other verses in all the Bible. The trumpet's going to sound. And it's the trumpet call of God, not the angels. There's two trumpets in Scripture, two purposes. The trumpet call of God is for the church. The trumpet call of angels is for Israel. Please make that distinction. That's going to come into play here in a moment. Very important. It's the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ rise first. Those are all those loved ones that have gone to be with the Lord in spirit, absent from the body. They get their new glorified bodies first. Real quick explanation, best I ever heard. It's likened unto a light bulb. So we're created in God's image, triune in nature, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, we're triune in nature, body, soul, and spirit. So what happens when you die? Well, your body goes into the ground from where it was created, dust to dust. Your spirit goes back to the source the Holy Spirit seals us for redemption. The Apostle Paul said it this way, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So those loved ones of ours, my daughter, my mom, I hope my dad, I believe by faith my dad, and all the other loved ones, many of which over the years from this church that I've done the memorial services for, 
they're already present with the Lord in spirit. When that trumpet sounds, their bodies, their glorified bodies are going to resurrect and they're going to get their bodies first. And that's okay. We'll let them, I guess, you know, right? But then we who are alive and remain, that's us. And isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul would include himself in the we? No, think about that. In other words, he thought it could happen in his lifetime by God's design. We're always watching, always waiting, every generation for the rapture of the church. So we who are alive and remain, we will be caught up. Two English words. In the Greek it's harpazo. I actually don't like that word. I like the Latin Vulgate, rapturous, rapture, transliterated in English. Doesn't rapture sound faster than harpazo? I mean, it's just kind of slow, harpazo. But rapture, yes! First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, the Apostle Paul kind of fills in some blanks. It's a mystery, and it's going to happen so fast in the twinkling, not a blink, in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to put off, I can't wait for this. These bodies, corruptible, I mean, that alone, right? I mean, this thing has a lot of miles on it. I'm getting a new one. In the twinkling of an eye, we put off corruptible and we put on incorruptible. We get our glorified bodies and we are going to meet them in the air and be with Jesus forever. And then Paul at the end of that passage says these words, therefore, encourage one another with these words. How are you going to encourage somebody if you tell them, okay, we're going to go through the tribulation, at least the part of it. I don't know if you're mid, pre-wrath, post-toasty, whatever you are. I mean, people are going to die. You're going to be forced to take this mark. If you don't, you're beheaded. And I mean, it's going to be horrific, unspeakable, horrendous. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. How do you, you can't say that. That's cruel. You can't say, encourage one another with these words. What words? You're going to go through hell on earth. That doesn't encourage me. That depresses me, and it scares me too. If that were the case, Paul would have said something to the effect of, be scared and prepared. Is that too much? Okay. Now, we haven't even got to the best part yet. Verse 3, this is key. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, the tribulation, the day of the Lord, shall not come except there come a departing first. He doesn't say a departing from the faith. In fact, the, the Greek word apostasia, 
which has led many to believe this is an apostasy, a spiritual departure. First, it, uh, it's a physical departure. Paul is not talking about that. He'll talk about that at the end of his life when he writes to Timothy. This is the first epistle that he ever wrote to the Thessalonians. And both letters are about the rapture. I should qualify it, the pre-tribulation rapture. So notice the words, the departing, the rapture comes first, and that that man of sin be disclosed, even the son of perdition, that's the Antichrist, which, verse 4, is an adversary, and exalteth himself against all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he doth sit as God in the temple of God. Oh, we're in the tribulation. Where's the temple? Where's the Antichrist? Because uh, he's late, according to your interpretation. You'll forgive me for being snarky. It's a sanctified snarky in Jesus' name. No, that, this is the temple. Uh, that's not there yet, nor is the Antichrist revealed yet. Verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, he was only with the Thessalonians for like maybe three months at the most. I told you these things. He taught these young believers when he started this church in Thessalonica, Bible prophecy. <gasps> no. Yeah. No way. Way. He taught them the rapture. Oh, would to God that pastors would teach the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. Oh man, these are new believers. You better start off, you know, just, they're still on milk. Hey, I got the best milk in the world, the pre-tribulation rapture milk. <laughs> it says it right there on the carton. Now, verse 6, it gets better. Now ye know what withholdeth, this is the restrainer, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's already at work. Only he which now withholdeth the restrainer that restrains, shall let till he be taken out of the way. He's not been taken out of the way yet. And then, verse 8, and then, one more time, and then shall that wicked man be revealed, ah, whom the Lord shall consume, can't wait for this, the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall abolish with the brightness of his coming. That's the second coming. So did you, did you get this? The rapture's first, then the Antichrist is revealed. The rapture's first, then the Antichrist is revealed, and the restrainer is taken out of the way first, and then the Antichrist is revealed. I don't know how you can get any clearer than that. Well, wait a minute, Pastor, with all due respect. Um, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, you really believe that's the rapture? Yeah. If you're interested, we did a deep dive into 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, 
It was back on June 14th of 2020. Again, we have the links. This was in our verse-by-verse study through 2 Thessalonians, and the teaching was titled, The Rapture Comes First. Why? Because the rapture comes first. I know that's deeply profound. In this particular teaching, we were able to rightly divide the word of truth, and as such discern and understand that the church must be removed prior to the Antichrist being revealed. Also, back on August 9, 2020, in the Prophecy Update, titled Pre-Tribulation Rapture Proof, Proof, we were able to, with sound doctrine, biblical evidence, prove that the rapture of the church must happen before the seven-year tribulation, period, period. And this for several reasons, chief of which is the seven-year tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. That's the purpose of it. Which brings us to the second reason we absolutely cannot be in the seven-year tribulation yet, and it's because the covenant has not been enforced yet. If you were to ask me why it is that many a well-intentioned Christian gets into what I'll call tribulation trouble, (laughs) this would have to be it. Let me explain. If we're already in the seven-year tribulation, and the church is still here in the world, then we've got serious problems, because we either have to replace the Jews or join the Jews. Let's talk about replacement theology, which is a a doctrine of demons, Paul writing to Timothy, a doctrine of demons. So let's talk about that first. Um, Actually, let's not talk about that first. (laughs) Let's talk about what if the church doesn't replace Israel. You don't have to get to replacement theology if the church is still here in the seven-year tribulation during the time of what's known as Jacob's trouble. What if the church is still here along with Israel instead of replacing Israel? Well then, God forbid, you have to make some very profound adjustments to God's Word, God forbid, to accommodate the church with Israel, not replacing Israel, we'll talk about that in a second, with Israel in the time of Jacob's trouble. Who's Jacob? Israel. Remember when God changed Jacob's name, Yahob, heel snatcher, to Israel, governed by God. And Yahob, Israel, would have 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. This is why Christians get in tribulation trouble, (laughs) if I can say it that way again because they, they blur the lines between the church and Israel. Here's an illustration. I just thought of this. I, I hope it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, you're, you're driving down a road 
uh, two-lane highway, right? You got the dividing line in the middle, okay? That keeps everybody in their lane, as it were. What would happen if you remove that line? Oh, you're going to have some problems. Because that's, that's the line that divides this traffic coming and this traffic going. Now, if you remove that line, you're going all over the place. And there's a potential certainly for an accident to happen. And it could be a fatal one. And I think this is a fatal mistake when you remove that line between the church and Israel. God is not through with the Jew. God has a plan for the Jew. He has a covenant with the Jew. And He has a covenant with me and you too. And if God is through with the Jew, then can I ask you, how secure are you? If God's through with the Jew, maybe He's through with me and you too. No. It's an everlasting covenant. You know what an everlasting covenant is? It's a covenant that lasts forever. He has a covenant, and He's going to keep that covenant. And the whole house of Israel, it's not a literal, but it's a Middle Eastern expression. Uh, even in the Arab culture growing up, they would call my dad's house the house of Abu Wahid, the father of Wahid. That's the house of, house of. So they're going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when they realize they've been deceived by the Antichrist. That's again Daniel 9.27, which we'll get to here in a moment. Okay, let me take it one step further and suggest that if the church is still here during the 70th week of Daniel, you by default replace the Jews and dismantle Bible prophecy and remove that center line on that road. And here's what I mean by that. The eschatological timeline is built on the specificity of the 70th week coming subsequent to the church age. In other words, the church has to be taken out prior to the seven-year tribulation, which fulfills the final seven years of Daniel's 70th week. And this is Daniel 9.27. He, speaking of the Antichrist, will confirm. Now in the Hebrew it's the same word as in my native tongue of Arabic. It's the word ikbir, ikbir. It carries with it the idea of enforcing stronger, greater, superior. So it, 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 uh, easy for me to say, it assumes, for lack of a better word, that there's already a covenant in place. Hang on to that. Because when the Antichrist comes along, he's going to confirm a covenant that's already in place. It just hasn't been enforced yet. So he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's a seven-year tribulation. In the middle of the seven, three and a half year mark, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, oh, there's the temple. I knew it. 
Where's the temple? Oh, it's there in Jerusalem, exactly as Bible prophecy says. And uh, right on time, and at the three and a half year mark, the Antichrist has already been on the scene. And by the way, 2 Thessalonians 2, how is the Antichrist going to get the worship of all of the people on earth? Signs and lying wonders. In other words, he's going to already, for the first three and a half years, already have a track record of sorts. Look at what this guy's done. Who's able to war against the beast? Look at these signs and wonders and miracles, and surely this is the Christ. And he finally enforced this peace agreement. There's never been peace. And he did it. And it's, it's a peace agreement now. And he's enforced it, it or confirmed it. And at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. That's 2 Thessalonians 2. He will declare himself to be God in the temple of God. And then that's when the Jews will realize, wait a minute, um, some believe he'll sacrifice an unclean animal, as in Israel's history. But it will be an abomination. He will commit an abomination in the rebuilt temple, which I believe comes packaged with this peace covenant. Once they have peace, the Jews are going to be allowed to rebuild their third temple. And then the Antichrist, in the middle of the tribulation, will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay. Are you okay so far? All right. I had someone tell me uh, that sitting under your teeth is like drinking water out of a fire hose. Well, at least you're getting your thirst quenched. <laughs> okay, Pastor, why is this prophecy in this one verse so important? Because it provides us with a specific timeline within the seven-year period. See, the church has to be out of the way, the restrainer taken out of the way, and now God is going to focus all of His attention on Israel. The church age is complete. You can't have the, the church there with Israel, and certainly you cannot have the church replacing Israel. And by the way, this is why a lot of guys put the church in the tribulation. Because if you replace Israel, well, you have to be Israel then in the tribulation, because that's the purpose of the tribulation, for the salvation of the... But the problem is, if we're Christians, we're already saved. So why would we have to go through the tribulation? Have you heard this one? Oh, we got to prove ourselves. Really? That sounds a lot, a lot like works to me. We've got to prove ourselves worthy. Listen, I, when my wife and I, by the way, we celebrated our 34th wedding anniversary uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. That, that woman has treasures in heaven, I'm telling you, putting up with me all these years. 36 years, we quarter for two. Okay. So when I proposed to her, which was in a helicopter. <laughs> I'm so, I was, was, keyword, so romantic, you know. You open the door, oh, you know, after all these years of marriage, it's like, hurry up and get in the car, we're running late. What's the matter with you? <laughs> Honeymoon's over. Okay. But before, 
I proposed to her and I could not wait. I literally, this is back in the day, young people, we actually had calendars on the wall instead of on the, yeah. So I, I would mark the days, count the days till we got married on our wedding day. Couldn't wait. And how much more our bridegroom? <laughs> Have you ever thought about, we can't wait for the Lord to come and take us out of here? Have you ever thought about like the Lord can't wait either? He's the groom. We're the bride. I think he's counting, I think he's marking off on the heavenly wall, the calendar, until that day comes when the Father says, go, go get your bride. Um, can you imagine a groom saying of his bride, now I got to really, you got to really prove yourself before we get married. So you're going to go through the tribulation, honey. And then by the time you got married, your wife is all bus up. Listen, if you got a better illustration, I'm happy to use it. Why would you want your bride to go through that? No, the Apostle Paul says, I want to present you as a virgin bride, pure, beautiful. Oh, I love doing weddings. You know what I love about doing weddings more than anything is watching the expression on the groom's face when he sees his bride coming down the aisle. First of all, he's paralyzed in fear. <laughs> he's like, you know, during the headlights. But he's just, you know, stunned. And it's so precious. And of course the tears are flowing. It's really bad when the pastor performing the wedding is the one crying. And, the bride has to give you the Kleenex anyway. How much more so with the Lord? Okay, now let's get back to the matter at hand here. First, the Antichrist's confirming, enforcing of the covenant for the one seven, that's what starts the seven year tribulation, not the rapture. This is what starts the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. Israel still owes God one week, a period of seven. 69 have been fulfilled. You got that 70th, that complete seven, the number of completion. Again, another reason that this one particular packed prophecy in just this one verse is so important is it proves really single-handedly that we're not in the tribulation because I ask you, is there a confirmed, enforced Ikbir covenant with Israel and many for seven years that you know of? Not yet. So the tribulation hasn't started yet, because the tribulation is what is started by this prophecy being fulfilled. Question, is said covenant already in place, at the ready to 
be confirmed in force by the Antichrist, according to Daniel 9.27? Answer, yes. And it was put in place with Israel back in January of 2020, then with many subsequently in August of that same year, 2020. Pictured here, and we've also provided a link to this, is a screenshot of Trump's deal of the century, as it has been called, which was unveiled on January 21st of 2020. If you're interested, we did a deep dive into this, and it was in the prophecy update on February 2nd of 2020. Then we addressed the prophetic significance of Abraham Accords in the August 16th update titled Peace with Many. So this is now sitting at the ready, and when the Antichrist is revealed, he will enforce what's already in place. And that will start the seven-year tribulation. And that hasn't happened yet, which is why we're not in the tribulation yet. One more thing. I think I'd be grossly remiss were I not to address, and this is, <laughs> this is very important. Again, we've got a link to this. I spent some time put together this at-a-glance chart of the seven seal judgments in Revelation chapters 6 through 8. The reason why this is so important, and this is again why people get into tribulation trouble, they take that first seal, which is, I've highlighted this, which, and we'll go through this very quickly, which is the white horse, the first of four horses of the apocalypse. And they don't assign it to the Antichrist. And that's a grave error, <laughs> literally in some sense. So you've got seven seal judgments, starting, interestingly, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Remember our template, Revelation 6 through 19 is all about the seven-year tribulation. So these seal judgments commence at the beginning and through the seven-year tribulation. So let's go through these. I hope they will seal the deal, pun intended. These are the seal judgments, starting with one. The white horse is ridden by the Antichrist, who comes conquering and to conquer. And get this, he has a bow. In the Greek, it's the Greek word toxon, where we get our English word toxin and a crown, which Latin word for crown is corona. That's just the first seal. We got six more to go. Seal number two, the fiery red horse of war that takes peace from the earth with a great sword and people killing one another. The third seal is the black horse of famine. We've talked about this by way of severe hyperinflation that will result in taking a complete day's wages just to buy the ingredients for bread. 
Number four, seal number four is the pale horse. And the word pale in the original language of the Greek New Testament is chloros, where we get our English word for chlorine or chlorophyll. It's a chemical, pale. And it's the horse of death and Hades following. And it kills over a fourth, not a fourth, over a fourth of the earth. How? By sword, hunger, and wild beasts. Seal number five. This is where the tribulation saints come in. The souls of those slain for the word of God. Oh, by the way, I didn't finish my light bulb analogy. I'm so sorry. Okay. Body, soul, and spirit. The, the body is like the bulb. It goes into the ground from where it was created. The spirit is like the electricity. It goes back to its source. The light that was created when the spirit and body was united is the soul. It has ceased, deceased. I probably would have done a lot better job if I had done it in the, I think the, the moment's gone. So, but we're triune, body, soul, and spirit. Okay. I'll get back to you on that at a future date if we're still here. So these are the tribulation saints that are slain for the Word of God and given white robes to rest until the number is completed. And then seal number six is, I mean, horrific, cataclysmic, great earthquake, sun turns black, the moon like blood, stars fall, sky recedes, mountains move, and man hides. <laughs> and then seal number seven is silence in heaven for about half an hour. There's a lot of speculation on why. But at this time, the seven angels who stand before God are given seven trumpets. Now, I bring this up and point this out because the first seal speaks to the very clear and present danger, as it were, of the Antichrist. There will be no mistake when the Antichrist is revealed at the start of the tribulation. And again, the fact that we're already seeing the beginning of this corona toxin coming to pass now, prior to the tribulation, is an indication of just how close we are to the tribulation. Now, this brings us to the third reason. We're not in the seven-year tribulation, and we're going to take the remainder of our time. Don't look at your watches. Uh, we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook and redirect you to the website. Okay, reason number three. The final kingdom of man has not ruled yet. This reason comes packaged with the answer to a question we continue to receive concerning the COVID injection being the mark of the beast. I'll do my best with the help of the Holy Spirit to explain this in a moment, why it is that the injection now cannot be the mark of the beast yet. For now, please know, and this is kind of heartbreaking for me, because we get this a lot 
you know, here's someone who's a believer and they acquiesced when they were forced to take the injection and now they're questioning whether or not they've lost their salvation. No, you've not lost your salvation. Um, if I have to say though, if you've been injected, you cannot be uninjected. However, if you're saved and injected, you can't be unsaved if you're injected. I want to make this very clear, because if you're born again and get injected, getting injected doesn't make you unborn again. And if you have a question mark on that, I would really encourage you to spend some time in Romans chapter 8, right out of the chute. Nothing, no one, no injection, no thing can separate you from the love of God. And by the way, that gets back into works. If we have to do something or not do something to keep our salvation, that means we've got to earn it, keep it. That's works. That's not grace. If you're saved, you're saved. You're saved. Now to this third reason. By way of introduction to this, let me hasten to say that we're witnessing this final kingdom beginning to come to pass in real time and at breakneck speed. And it's for this reason that it might explain, though not excuse, those who have misinterpreted this as meaning we're already in the tribulation. I say it that way because it seems as though the conspirators, as I refer to them, conspirators, are already in control globally and prophetically. They're not, not yet. The problem with this assumption and misinterpretation is that the world may seem like, look like, even feel like we're in the tribulation, but that's not the litmus test. The litmus test for whether or not we're in the tribulation is not what we feel or see, rather it's the Word of God that has the final word, God's Word. We take our feelings or what we experience or what we see and we go to the Word, not the other way around. Here's the point. The final kingdom of man on earth at the time that Jesus returns to set up His kingdom has to be set up first. And that's what's happening right now, right on time. So when the seven-year tribulation starts, they'll hit the ground running, if you will. To the question of this proving that we're not in the seven-year tribulation yet, I would just humbly ask that you hear me out. I'll explain, and we'll bring it in for a landing. To do that, I need to draw your attention to one of the most fascinating prophecies in all of Scripture found in the book of Daniel. This prophecy is known as the Ten Toes of Daniel which comports with the ten horns of Revelation, chapters 7, 13, and 17. Daniel chapter 2, let me begin reading in verse 41. Daniel is interpreting a dream for Nebuchadnezzar. Whereas you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, hang on to that, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And 
as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle, listen, with the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone, that's Jesus, was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after Meta Talta this. And then he says this, and I love this, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. The more sure word of Bible prophecy. Yeah. Okay. We find this mentioned again in Daniel 7, which specifies this as the fourth beast and fourth and final kingdom on earth. And notably, it's different from all the other kingdoms. How so? Oh, in how it shall devour the whole earth. The kingdoms prior did not do that. Like with Revelation, this prophecy describes the final kingdom geopolitically ruled by ten kings, presumably over ten regions or sectors on earth, who are all under the rule of the Antichrist. And these ten world leaders or kings over ten regions are even now being selected and situated to rule as soon as the Antichrist is revealed, which is subsequent to the Church of Jesus Christ being raptured. In the interest of time, I'm going to refer you to two more updates in which we've gone into great detail as it relates to this fourth and final kingdom. The first was actually four weeks ago, titled Connecting the Prophetic Dots. We connect this fourth kingdom to the fourth industrial revolution. And the reason is the fourth industrial revolution is the evolution of transhumanism. Merging man clay with machine iron, and it doesn't mix. That's that. The second update we'll refer you to is back on November 28th last year bearing the title of the last ruling empire of man. In this update we look at the ten kings who rule the ten regions of the whole earth, all under the rule of the Antichrist when he's revealed. And this sort of answers the question before us in the sense that their rule can't start until the Antichrist rule starts, even though it might seem like they've already started. No, they're just getting set up. Enter the current global crisis, which has brought the fourth and final kingdom of man front stage, geopolitically and prophetically. And here's how I get there. The created climate crisis, crypto crisis, and COVID crisis, with its ensuing reaction, will usher in the final solution. 
And the final solution will be executed, <laughs> pun intended, via the Antichrist, who will be seen as, even worshipped as, the Saviour of mankind. He has the final solution to all these global crises. They created it. We've also provided a link to last week's update titled, Painted into the Prophetic Corner, which I must warn you is very intense. Intense because it covers stunning breaking news, tying together climate change, cryptocurrency, and the COVID conspiracy. In it we learned the entire world is now being forced into, or if you prefer, painted into the prophesied corner of the tribulation period. This brings us full circle to why we're not in the seven-year tribulation yet, and also why the injection is not the mark of the beast yet. Hang in there with me. We're not in the tribulation yet, because the rule of the Antichrist, who rules the ten kings in the fourth final kingdom, hasn't begun yet. And it hasn't begun yet, because the church hasn't been raptured yet. And the covenant, which starts the seven-year tribulation, hasn't been enforced yet. Are you with me? So let's talk about this injection, just real quick. This injection, in its current form, cannot be the mark of the beast yet, because there's no beast yet. And there's no beast yet, because the church hasn't been raptured yet. And the seven-year tribulation has not started yet. And the seven-year covenant has not been enforced yet. And the final kingdom of man has not ruled yet. Is everything being set up? Oh, you better believe it. It is being set up right now. So one more thing on this, and please, I don't know how to, maybe I need to do just an update on only this, because it still seems to be an issue. The current COVID injection cannot be transhumanism yet. And the reason why it cannot be transhumanism yet, and why mankind is not eternally doomed yet, is because it's not the mark of the beast yet. Because there's no beast yet. And we haven't started the tribulation yet. And the rapture hasn't happened yet. So this is yet future, not distant future certainly, not even immediate future. I think it's future, future. <laughs> I mean, it's like any time now, by virtue of the fact that everything is being set up. And the book of Revelation and the divine outline in the book of Revelation places the ultimate fulfillment of all of these, all of the above, squarely in the seven-year tribulation, which has to be after the rapture. The rapture of the church has to happen before the seven-year tribulation. We are not in the tribulation. Okay, I feel better. Do you? <laughs> Here's the bottom line. The fact that the world now appears to be in the tribulation, indicates just how close we are to the tribulation. 
You know, this time of year, I, I, love, I love Christmas music. I love Hawaiian music. I really love Hawaiian Christmas music. <laughs> yeah, anyway, we'll talk later. Um, but there's that w one song, y you know it, starting to look a lot like Christmas. That was pretty bad, I know, but starting to look a lot like the tribulation. That's because it is. Uh, one last uh, thing, and uh, Pastor Chuck, who's now with the Lord, uh, drew this illustration, best I ever heard. He's at the mall one day during the holidays with his wife Kay, and he looks at all the decorations, he's, and he goes, look at the decorations, honey. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't wait for Thanksgiving. She's like, uh, honey, uh, these are Christmas decorations. He says, I know. I know that all of the signs and decorations are up for Christmas, because it's starting to look a lot like Christmas. But I know that Thanksgiving comes before Christmas. And if all of the signs are up, that means we're very close to Christmas. How much closer are we to Thanksgiving? The rapture. Ah. All right. I'll bring it to a close. Um, thank you for your patience, actually, honestly. This is the reason why we do these prophecy updates and have for many years. It's also why we, several years ago, started ending all of the updates with the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, and a simple childlike explanation of salvation by way of the ABCs of salvation. So what is the gospel? Well, the word gospel means good news. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. Good news. Wait, what debt? Oh, you, you didn't know that you have a sin debt? Well, the good news is someone came and paid that for you instead of you. And he paid in full, and he offers you the gift that he paid for, the gift of eternal life. This is why the ABCs is just a simple explanation. It's a tool really to be equipped with. Should the Lord ever present you with an opportunity to share the Lord with somebody? The A is for admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner, because until and unless you do, you would not really have any need for or be interested in the Savior. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, miss the mark. Romans 6.23 packages the bad news first with the good news. What's the bad news? The wages of sin is death. It's the death penalty. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news, the gospel. Now this brings us to the B, which is central. And it comes as a result or an expression of the A. When you acknowledge that you're a sinner, you're going to believe in the Savior. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Believe, put your trust in. 
And then the C, lastly, is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth. Which again, if you think about it, it's the acknowledging that you're a sinner, believing in the Saviour, and calling upon His name, which is exactly what we call the thief on the cross. We don't know if his crime was stealing. We just know it was capital punishment. But he acknowledged the Saviour when the other guy rejected him. And then he believed in Him, that He truly was the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And then He called out to Him and said to Him, Will you remember Me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus' response was, Verily, verily, I say unto you, today you'll be with Me in paradise. Lastly, Romans 10.13 says, All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. By the way, real quick, and I think this is the Lord. Again, thank you for your patience. I've often thought that one of the reasons, there's many, but one of the main reasons why we have recorded for us in Scripture the account of those that were crucified with Jesus, is to give us hope when it comes to that loved one we've been praying for for years. They're on their deathbed like this guy. And they know it's just a matter of time. How many people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in their dying moments? I think it's to give us hope. It's to give us hope. Okay. Um, we'll get to today's But God testimony, but I, I just wanted to quickly share an email our amazing staff apprised me of on Wednesday. It comes from Daniel Moore, who writes, and this is in regards to providing them with a religious exemption. Thank you for this. We were at the 11th hour, and this was a duplicate, but the original was received in time to submit before the deadline submission. Please share with JD, whom we listen to every week, that the letter was all that was submitted to University of Virginia Medical Center, and my wife's exemption request was approved yesterday. And this was for an exemption for the flu shot which would have cost her her job. Her COVID exemption was nothing less than a gift from God. And this one is the icing on the cake. She's an RN in the hospital and is the only one remaining uninjected. Everyone else who objected has been let go or resigned. Thank you, JD, and thank you, God. It would have been considerably difficult if she lost her job right now. December 3rd, coming up, would have been her last day. Praise the Lord. Okay, uh, you get two for one today. Here's, the, here's the, the but God testimony. We're almost done. Again, thank you for your patience. It comes from Ryan Peters, who I recently had the privilege of meeting when he was visiting here. He shared with me the following but God testimony from his friend Scott, who writes, Pastor JD, my wife and I and our four amazing children want to collectively and sincerely thank you and encourage you. Our 18-year-old son said it a few weeks ago, and it occurred to me in the moment how correct he was. JD Farag saved our lives, literally. Let that sink in. In December of 2019, I was hearing back channel chatter about a new virus in China. 
while it was initially dismissive, the chatter grew in volume and incoherence. Enter the prophecy updates. It wasn't long until I was waiting until 3 p.m. local time every week to listen to the live stream. I remember vividly hearing the words that I will never forget. Once you have been vaccinated, you cannot be unvaccinated. It was like a gunshot into the night air and time was suspended for a moment. It took me some time to process, process it all out. This did not sit well with my wife initially, as she was feeling immense social pressure to succumb to an absurd narrative and get jabbed. In time and investigation, I am happy to tell you that she and our entire immediate family has retained the purity of our generations and that we have no regrets. We have been marginalized socially, laughed at by colleagues professionally, and scolded by our extended family. At times we have felt very much isolated and condemned, but God. And this is the real reason in writing. Because of our convictions and decisions, we have inadvertently connected with a completely new ecosystem of friends who have become like family to us, including Ryan and Rose, who sit before you. These new social diversions and deviations in course and heading have produced new gatherings, new venues, new forums, and renewed alliances that are somehow much more significant and exciting than the ones we experienced before we were all threatened and criticized. There is a church community minutes from the Parliament building in, get this, Ottawa, Canada, that is over capacity weekly. I love it when God does that. Hundreds who have been ostracized and outcasts have come to seek shelter and find affinity and community under the banner of freedom and faith in Christ. This would have been impossible two years ago. I am a railway engineer with one of our national carriers and was told 18 months ago that I would be put on administrative unpaid leave if I did not comply with the federal mandates. The prospect of losing my job seemed dim in comparison to losing my life. And I suppose that this is the bottom line of all these discussions and all of your updates. It's about choosing life. Thank you for being the voice that literally screamed in the desert to stop. I thank you. Our kids thank you. Never ever stop beating your drum and singing your song. Okay, I'll beat the drum. I, I, I should stop singing. I was personally challenged by your update to examine and embrace the example of the prophet Micaiah. May we all possess the Micaiah mentality in these dark and dwindling days. Soon and very soon, Scott, Carol, Nicholas, Chantel, William, and Aaliyah. Praise the Lord. Come on, come on up. Oh, you guys, go ahead and stand. Again, thank you so much. I. The Lord knows my heart. I really do try to shorten the updates. I know it doesn't seem like it, but I go through a grueling process over a period of about four or five days during the week to prepare the update. And so I'll go in and I'm like, oh, how can I condense it? How can I shorten it? You know what I end up doing? Lengthening it. <laughs> so I'm going to try something different. I'm not going to do any revisions. I'm just going to leave it alone. And then maybe I won't keep adding to it. No promises, but maybe we'll have an update one day that won't be 
Don't look at your watches yet. <laughs> as long, <laughs> so long. You guys are, you guys are very gracious. Thank you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, boy, a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of, this is again heavy, but it's so needed. Lord, I feel so sorry for people who have bought into this lie that we were already in the tribulation. How hopeless would we be if that were true? Oh Lord, our, our hope, our blessed hope <laughs> is when that trumpet sounds. Please Lord, don't let the enemy take that away. Please don't let the enemy confuse. He's the author of confusion and the father of lies. Don't let him lie to your people, because it's going to change everything and how we live our lives in this last hour. And Lord, thank you. I thank you so much that we're not in the tribulation yet. I thank you so much that that trumpet is going to sound. And my closing prayer is just to ask you, really plead with you for anyone who does not know you, has not called upon you, believing in you, putting their trust in you. Lord, I pray that today, today would be the day of their salvation. And for those of us who've been walking with you for years, watching, waiting, Lord, I just pray like the Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians, I pray that we would encourage one another. We need encouragement right now, just to hang in there like the Church of Philadelphia. Just hold on, hold on. Not much longer. I'm coming quickly. Just hold on. Well, we're holding on, Lord, <laughs> kind of by our fingernails, but we're holding on. And Lord, come quickly. Maranatha. In Jesus' name, Amen.